and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today, we're continuing our strike coverage of Ahsoka. We're recording it very soon after the episode has come out when we're full of thoughts, but we're not going to be releasing it until after the strike. Hopefully, you have seen it by now. Ahsoka Episode 5 is what we're talking about today, and I've got two great guests, Aaron McGowan and cosplayer and Star Wars fan, Alex Corman. Guys, Filoni just gave us one hell of a love letter. Oh like, what, what do we think about this episode? <laughs> I just... He has been planning since the moment Ahsoka became live action for this moment. Mm-hmm. Like he has been planning and prepping. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like he's. They finally gave him the reins to Star Wars, and he's just been plotting for years on how he can bring the universes he created in, in Rebels and the Clone Wars into this live action sphere. And I, this episode was that was that culmination. Yeah. yeah. Um. I want to back up just a second, but we had to get started with this episode. Alex, uh, this is your first time on the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Alex. Um, I am 26. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I currently live in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I work as a photojournalist. Um, and in my spare time, I pretty much do all things Star Wars. Um, so I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. I like that we have three Minnesotans on the podcast this time. Uh, we're going to understand a sort of deep reservoir of we don't ever express our feelings. Uh, I'm learning it. I'm not from Minnesota eventually, but it'll be a good good lens to bring to the show. Uh, Alex, well, you have a thought? I, I am from New Jersey, so I will get – okay, <laughs> I'm from okay. New Jersey, so I will come out with very strong opinions. I will warn you. So yeah. you and I actually get along well because I'm also from – I'm from New York City, so we're oh, East Coasters fantastic. who are transplants. I do have to ask, are you from New York, New Jersey or Philadelphia, New Jersey? Yeah, yeah, New York, North Jersey, New York, New Jersey, the better part of New Jersey. Perfect, perfect. Okay, we're, we're in good plans. We'll talk about football in a little bit. Excellent. But yeah, back to this episode. Um, yeah, let's just kind of talk. Aaron, you go first. As someone who I know is so invested in Ahsoka, you fell in love with her at a very young age. You've kind of grown up with her. What was it like to go back to seeing young Ahsoka on screen with Anakin, seeing older Ahsoka on screen with Anakin, seeing the culmination of that journey they've been? Uh, sum up the most emotionally impactful thing that's happened to you this year in 30 seconds on air, if you don't mind. Just, like, tears streaming down my face. Like, oh, my God. Like, the immediate oh, – when he – when she fell and it did that dust, I had this feeling. I was like, it's going to be a flashback. Holy – it's going to be a flashback. And then, like, you started to see her and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, started, like, freaking out and I saw Claude go by and I lost it. I was like oh. – Oh, just, oh my God. My parents were like, I was like, I go, no. And my mom's like, what? What's wrong? And I'm like, it's so good. <laughs> like, you don't understand, you don't understand what's about to happen. Like, <laughs> like, oh my God. So I just let's loved give it. A, let's give a quick summary for those who uh, either haven't seen the show, in which case I really am questioning your life decisions, but yep. I'm happy you're here listening and we can get you brought up to speed or those who may have seen it a couple months ago, but are only listening to our coverage now. Uh, so the summary is, while investigating Ahsoka's disturbance along with his mother, Jason Sindula senses that Ahsoka is in the world between worlds. They never use that language, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Revealing his own connection with the Force, which also was huge. Anakin explains to Ahsoka, because yeah, Anakin is there, <laughs> Anakin explains to Ahsoka that he'd been watching her through the Force and deduces that her loss with Skull is partially due to her unresolved guilt over the events that drove them apart. Ahsoka loses a duel with Anakin and relieves fragments of her past during the Clone Wars, relives. Ahsoka refuses Anakin's teachings, determined to not be held back by the past, leading to another duel between them. 
Ahsoka wins, accepting that she wasn't part of the reason for Anakin's downfall and chooses to live. Ahsoka is recovered by Syndulla's crew, but Syndulla is contacted by Mothma, who informs her that the New Republic forces are en route to take her and Ahsoka into custody. Just before they do, Ahsoka recruits a pod of Purgle to take her to Ezra while Syndulla stays behind. That is that a great summary. Yeah, that was a spot great on. summary. So it doesn't capture the pure emotion and mind blowingness, but it, it nails all the facts. No, I, yeah, I, I wish I could like... take credit for it. Uh, the wiki page for Ahsoka is uh, really yep. on board. Thank Often God. they give kind of the like, <laughs> we don't want to spoil you. This time they're not worrying about that. They're just like, here's the spoilers. Here's what happened in the episode. So, yeah, beautiful. Oh, let's God. let's talk about Ahsoka and Anakin. Um, because I, I have to admit. About five minutes into the episode, I was really unsure how I was going to feel about it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I know. Um, these are fighting words. And, and for me, I have said on a couple of occasions that I really want to see the, the moment when Ahsoka learns that Anakin turned back. You know, like, like whether that's from Luke or from Anakin himself or whatever it was. And also, I don't love mystery boxes. I like to know what is actually happening. And we didn't really get an explanation of what was going on. And, and we kind of jumped into this thing where it, it felt at first like uh, like this was just going to be more of Anakin and everything was fine training Ahsoka. And we quickly realized about you know quarter, third of the way into the episode, we realized that was not happening. But at first, my hackles were pretty far up. Um, how did you all respond to the first couple minutes of this? Um, you know, I, I also was – at the very beginning, you know – when when they when they met, I was expecting you know flashbacks to be exactly what they were flashbacks, but it felt more like Ahsoka was being brought on this journey by at least some version of a sentient Anakin, which to me it does make sense, seeing as you know he was created by the Force, so it makes sense if anyone could you know sustain their you know consciousness after death to this degree and move through the Force and through time, it would be him mm-hmm. as a guide. Um, but I, you know, I, I also was the whole episode. I, I was waiting for the the apology from Anakin or like some like moment of Ahsoka realizing he'd come back to the light. But it, at the end, it didn't bother me because I, I felt like there was still a resolution that was that yeah. was coming from the very beginning. I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do no, you think? No, I Aaron? totally agree because I wanted the same thing. I wanted them to like have some sort of closure. I wanted them to like talk through things, and we got nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But the episode ended, and it just uh, – she did her what I call Gandalf the Grey to Ahsoka the White. Yeah. Um, yep. She did that, and she came back, and just, like, everything about her presence was lighter. It was Ahsoka again. She smiled. Like, she – I have no idea. She's making jokes, like, to a yeah. droid who she knows no, doesn't it, care. Like You're so you're so right. No, like, I, I picked up on the same thing. Like, you, you, there's a very distinct difference – between pre-Siege of Mandalore Ahsoka and post-Siege of Mandalore Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has carried this, especially in Rebels, when she realized that Vader was Anakin, she has carried this guilt and this heaviness for so long, and it felt like this is going to free her, and we're going to see like new levels of skills and abilities mm-hmm. and just trust in the Force in herself. And I think this will help her bridge the gap that's been holding her back from training Sabine once she's yeah. able to find her. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Like like I said, it was those first few minutes that bothered me. And I think it was really when he kind of knocks her off the bridge and she falls and we're back in the Clone Wars. Uh, and we get to see some of those moments from, from her first battle at, or one of her first battles and then get to see the redo of the Siege of Mandalore that it was just so powerful to me. And I, I really love that, Aaron, we were able to talk a bit last episode about how we were getting a little frustrated with how brooding she was. And I... There are ways in which I think – for me, this again kind of confirms like just I think it's better if they just release all the episodes at once because I think it, it it would have been not as frustrating if we've been waiting week for week for week. But it was still just – it it made me be like, okay, now I know why they did it. I, I recognize that they knew they were not doing Ahsoka wrong, like th- that that was not what Ahsoka was supposed to be and it led to this payoff and it was so worth it. Yeah. Alex, you look like you have thoughts. I, I just – you know – I actually, from the first episode, I thought the broodiness of her was very reflective of what we saw in Rebels, towards the end of Rebels especially, because mm-hmm. of because of the sudden guilt she was carrying. She like, you know, in the Clone Wars, she is so light and – okay, it's actually let – me, let, me, let me back up for a second. I feel like the Clone Wars show as a whole, you know, Ahsoka – you see Ahsoka mature – and she starts off very, you know, inexperienced and bright and light, and she becomes darker, a little darker, a little more yeah, jaded. Absolutely. And part of that is she's being trained by Anakin Skywalker. Um, and I think that that actually hit home more in the live action than it ever did in the Clone Wars. Like it something just clicked of oh my god, she was a child soldier being trained under the one of the most dangerous and violent Jedi. Yeah. You know, ever. And mm-hmm. it just really emotionally hit. And to me, that trauma that she experienced, like, it made sense that she's brooding and, and so, you know, introverted uh, while she's carrying this guilt. And, and I've been waiting, like you guys have said, for this moment where she could release that guilt and, you know, be free of it. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that we have that finally. No, yeah. absolutely. Like, the broodiness made sense to me. And that's why... I've been okay with it. You know, like I've said before mm-hmm. on the show, I haven't said this to you, Alex, but I watched The Mandalorian before I watched Rebels. So when I saw her on screen in The Mandalorian, I was like, who is this? Okay, look, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, I had this weird beef because I was convinced Disney ended the Clone Wars. And then when they came out with the new cartoon show, I was like, you'll never be the Clone Wars. And I didn't watch it until after it was all done because <laughs> well, I was, that was angry. That is, and, and how do you feel about yourself now? You feel like a fool? Um... I missed a lot. I'll say that. <laughs> Rebel slaps. Rebel slaps. Rebel slaps. Rebels is mad good. I still personally put Clone Wars above. Uh, for those of my generation, they're indicating that they like it. Just don't want to translate from the youth. <laughs> the Clone Wars is the better show, I agree. But Rebels, there's something about it that just, it feels so yeah. homey and... Mm-hmm. It is. I, yeah. There's something I, I, very special about a show that's based mm-hmm. around one planet. That we yeah, don't and, get in and, Star Wars. And one crew of people. It's like it doesn't jump around as much as all of Star yeah. Wars does. It's one family, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's it's I think like in some ways I think it helped to kick off the current like Disney TV era because like Andor, like Mandalorian, it's not about the people who were the like the heroes we're always going to remember, you know? Yeah. Harris and Dula is going to be like if you read a paragraph about how the Empire was overthrown, you're never going to hear Harris and Dula's name meant you know it, it it's going to be pages and pages down and yeah i love that going back to i think the thing about the broodiness i think part of how it worked in rebels is that ahsoka was never the main character she was 
the kind of like there's the direct object and the indirect object. We never expect excuse me. We never expected much character growth from Ahsoka. She was there to sort of help the plot of everyone else along. And then she got to have her incredible moment and then was gone. And I think I understood her broodiness absolutely and completely. It just wasn't much fun to watch after two or three episodes is kind of all my point. And I think okay. like – I, you know, I, I, I think I would have enjoyed – I think the last two episodes would have been a lot more enjoyable if it had all been uh, at once. But I do think that like – However I feel about how they did the broodiness, knowing that it led to this does make me feel much better about it. That, that was just more kind of my point. I agree. Yeah, I was just so happy to have an episode about Ahsoka, not Sabine, because yeah. I like Sabine a lot. I do. But I just want – I've been wanting that growth from Ahsoka, and now we have it. Yeah. So now I'm, like, actually excited to get back to Sabine. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think that's kind of exactly what I am. One of the cool thing um, – you talked about her shift from Ahsoka the Grey to Ahsoka the White, in a very kind of like Lord of the Rings reference. And the white outfit she's in, it's not just a white outfit. It's the outfit she wears at the very end of Rebels mm-hmm. when she comes. And, and so the timing is a little bit, you know, flunky, but who cares? You know, it was just such a great throwback the way so much of this has been a great throwback to Rebels all throughout. Yeah, it was so weird seeing Ahsoka with no headband. I've never seen a Tokuta's to hairline before. Never mm-hmm. seen it. My mom was like, yeah. what is that? I was like, leave her alone. It's her hairline. <laughs> that threw me for a loop as well. I won't lie. I so also odd. thought the transition that they did to young Ahsoka, and we'll talk about the actress who played her in a second because she was amazing, but just like because she falls and then she's in shadow and dust. And at first, like you don't realize who it is. And then as she's like coming forward, she looks so much younger. To me, I just was blown away. To me, that was just such incredible storytelling of how they did that reveal Particularly because it's it's young Ahsoka's body and it's an actress playing her, but it was clearly the consciousness of the older Ahsoka yeah. in that, which I just thought was such a brilliant way to tell the story again. Yeah, I loved that the flashbacks were in a sentient way. Like, it was Ahsoka, who she is now, in a flashback, and it's Anakin, who he is now, also in a flashback. Right. And like, it was- Seeing- No, you go ahead, go it was interesting to me because it's like, you know, Anakin is sentient. You know, he knows what's going on, but he's still so in it. He's like, yeah. come on, let's fight a war. She's like, yo, aren't we here? Like, you have something to say to me. Like, I don't want to spend time here. Like, can we just get through it? And he's like, come on, the battle's going on. Which felt yeah. very Anakin, to be honest. <laughs> it did feel very Anakin. And like, I know this is a point we're going to discuss later, apparently, because Matthew's a hating Christensen hater, I just found out. I absolutely um, am not. Absolutely <laughs> am not. But go ahead. Um... I just want to say that I felt like I have waited, and it's, I tried to explain this to my to my partner who who doesn't love Star Wars as nearly much as I do, but really tries. She really tries. <laughs> um, and I tried to explain to her that you know I was eight years old in two thousand five when you know this show came out, or two thousand six, mm-hmm. whatever. I can't remember what year did it come out. Oh five, oh six. I think Four it was oh eight. Oh eight. Okay, then I was eleven years old. Um, but. 12, whatever, I can't do math. What point is, I was yeah. 11 years old when it came out, and I have waited about 15 years at this point to see a live-action version of these characters that, like, you know, I grew up just loving. Like, loving Ahsoka, wanting to see Hayden Christensen in that Clone Wars armor for oh so my God. long. And just, like, it almost didn't feel real when I saw it. And yeah. to see a live-action Captain Rex, even if it was just for a moment, so good. I just... It just, it just, I was, I, I, it was almost like I, I couldn't even, 
believe it was really happening on the yeah. screen. Yeah. 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 And I think this is something that's going to be so different for our experience versus someone like Matthew's age who didn't grow up on the prequels in the Clone Wars where your favorite characters have always been live action. You got that. We've yeah. sat here like my favorite character is a cartoon. She's considered secondary. A lot of fans don't know about her. People are going to trash me when I say that's my favorite character just because yeah. she's not live action. And now they don't get to say that. <laughs> no, it's so true. And and to be very clear, I, I made a joke before then about how this is the the, the worst of the three people who have played uh, Anakin slash Vader. Uh, and... <laughs> You're trying to backtrack, trying to... but you can't. No, no, but that's okay. Well, no, here's the thing. And I, what I mean by that is... And I will admit, before the Obi-Wan show, I thought Hayden Christensen was a was a bad actor because and, – and part of – I think the generational divide you're talking about is really important. And Aaron, I've said before and Alex will say to you as well, it's why I love having you on the show because I think it's important that fans of my generation not be the only ones who are represented on this show and that I've learned so much by hearing you talk about that and how important it is. I will say that at this point, my favorite character is Hondo Anaka. So I haven't had my favorite character on live action yet, but, but I do hear what you mean. Oh, I grew up with this being live action and then the cartoons, the, the animated being a secondary thing. So, and I, I want to say more about that in a second, but just in terms of Hayden, what I, what I mean, I think there's two things here. To me, I think, like I said, I didn't think he was a good actor. Then I saw Obi-Wan and I still don't think he's, Matt Latner, the the animated voice to me is just that is my Anakin, and and you know uh, uh, James Earl Jones is also my Anakin, and that you know he was my Vader, and in part because the prequels, probably because I watched them as an adult, um, but they didn't. He always felt wrong to me. It always felt like this is not the person who ever grows up to be James Earl Jones. I just never believed it, and I've come to believe that that is in large part because of bad dialogue and bad direction. Uh, because as I said, I, I believe at this point that Matt Matt uh, Hayden has some good acting skills. I just think Matt Latner's better. Uh, and that's what I mean when I said the third best. It's not hate for him. I think he did a good job in this. I think the de-aging is awful, and I really wish they would stop doing that. And, you know, if he's in the force somehow, just let him be the age that Hayden Christensen is now. Um, but yeah, so so just to kind of clear that up, it's not that I hate Hayden. I think I used to for sure. I've come to believe that if Natalie Portman could be that bad in this prequels, then any good actor could be. Um, and But that's why I think it's really important. Like, I love hearing that perspective that for you, how important he was having grown up with him and having grown up with, with the Clone Wars, wanting to see him in the live action. Because that's – it's not a perspective that I would understand, you know, having seen it at such a different age. Yeah. Is my hate in defense time now or later? You can go ahead now. Go for it. Oh, okay, great. Um, I was <laughs> but just I say it, that, I'm not hating no, him. I, I, just, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I understand you don't hate. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, I actually – okay, my opinion might differ from a lot of people's on this. But if you look at the character of Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. he was taken from his only parental figure after living through slavery his entire childhood when yep. he was only 10. He's taken from his mom. To be thrown into an order of monks who are you're taught to not show emotion, and from that young age is slowly like you know brainwashed by the most evil man to maybe ever live in the history of the galaxy in Palpatine, and then you have him with his skill level quickly evolving, and with already having you know you know the the level of you know impulsivity he has, and then a war breaks out, and so at one of the most you know critical moments of you know someone's development, he's now thrown into a war. And I mean, he's 22 when he becomes Darth Vader. Like, 
you know, yeah. when we were graduating college, you know, you, you were not fully developed. You were young. And I feel like to me, the way Hayden portrayed Anakin was clumsy, inexperienced, awkward. And that is how I picture a teenage Jedi trying to figure out what the hell he is to be. Like, it's almost like you're, you know, in real person terms, it's like you're going through puberty and, you know, you realize like, oh, I might be good at some sport or something, but you don't really know how to like interact or, you know, if you're like a, a child prodigy who goes to college when you're, you know, 12 or something, like mm-hmm. Anakin was more talented and skilled than maybe any Jedi outside of like Yoda and Windu um, as far as like, you know, lightsaber skills. And his, his you know, capture of the Force was deeper than probably anyone's except for Yoda's. And he's trying to figure all of this out without any real direction because we're in the middle of a war. He has Palpatine manipulating him. And so Hayden's performance was actually, to me, how I think Anakin really was. This this awkward, weird, kind of confused guy. And then because he never felt like he had that that home or that connection that he had with his mother, you know, he falls to the dark side. And the James Earl Jones performance we get, we're seeing 20 years later, 20 years of evil, mm-hmm. isolation, darkness that matures him into this brooding evil character that we see in Vader um, that's a little more refined and, and you know, but at 22 I don't know, to me it always felt like that is exactly how I would picture an unstable white man to be before he became <laughs> evil and that is completely legitimate and I, I, I don't want to discount a word of that, I and to me all of that, I think Matt Latner ca- captured perfectly when I, I, watched, I also love Matt Latter. I want to I clarify. Yeah. I love him in the Clone Wars. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I watched Hayden Christensen, I didn't get any – what I got was an actor reading bad dialogue who never actually felt into the character. And it may well be that like – because again, I was about the same age. I was uh, – it's funny. I w- we went to see Phantom Menace as I – that was our my graduating college. So I kind of like aged up with him uh, in that kind of a way. It wasn't what I saw, but I think that's – that's the great thing is like it doesn't have to be – and, and to me in this, he – I guess maybe it's part of it is that because, again, I never had an emotional connection to Hayden's version. I never had any desire to see Hayden in live action with Ahsoka. Like I, yeah. if, if you'd put him in the suit and had Matt Latner's voice, I'm happier. But it, it still worked. You know, it, it to me, it perfectly conveyed the emotion between them. And I absolutely love that for the people who were emotionally invested in it, that you got that. Because to me, that's that's what's most important that Filoni is doing here is he is recognizing that all these different people have all these different approaches to Star Wars, and he's giving all of us something that we love. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's amazing to me. That's masterful storytelling for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So let me ask this. What was happening? Like – this review is saying that it's the world between worlds. Those words were never actually spoken, but I think it's it's a clear indication of that. Was this – like, was it Anakin pretending to be the dark side so that he could get Ahsoka to face that? Was it that the essence of Anakin actually is still the essence of Vader and and Ahsoka had to defeat him? Like, what what was going on here? What do you think? The way I saw it is, like, the Anakin that is a current being in the Force is the Anakin we saw at the very beginning and the very end of their interactions. Mm. He's pretty calm. He's there to help, you know, like, a pretty just, like, stable, but still, like, powerful and intense being. Um, And I think the foreshadowing they had throughout those flashbacks of, you know, like, Vader music here and there, like, lightning strikes, and it looks like 
Vader, you know, things like that. I think that part of the flashbacks is Ahsoka having to grow through and recognize the stages of Anakin to that point Mm -hmm. where he is evil. We see him as he was on Mustafar. He has like the Sith eyes. He's got his scar and they're fighting with his red saber. And she has that moment where she is seeing the person she, I'm not going to say hates the most, but a person that has caused her so much pain and has caused Mm -hmm. so many people so much pain. And she stops and she does that like, like she's thinking about killing him. And she drops the lightsaber and says, I choose to live. And he steps back still in Mustafar Anakin for a moment. And then it passes. So to me, that was like a trial. Like she passed her trials almost. I tend to agree for the most part. I, I, to me, Anakin, I mean, if, again, if I'm going to reference a, a moment in the Clone Wars, um, the Mortis arc, mm-hmm. the, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's the three gods of the Force, essentially, and the father is imploring Anakin to take his place as the anchor of the Force, essentially. Yeah. And Anakin was created as a virgin. He is balanced. Like, that is his entire thing. He was, you know, 22 years in the light, 22 years in the dark. He pretty much is his exact lifespan. And I, to me, he dies, and now he has full command of all aspects of himself. So he can choose to bring out the Anakin, the calm demeanor, or the dark side and the Vader in him that, like, you know, he needs to show Ahsoka. He even makes a point where Ahsoka references what he became, mm-hmm. and, and Anakin very nonchalantly says, is that what this is about? Like, yeah. that's what you're mad about? Like, um, I love that like, moment. Me too. Yeah, and to me, too. it's him very much showing that he is going to use both sides. And the last quick thing I'll note is, I don't know if anyone was picked, picked, anyone else picked up on this, but there's a moment where they're, they're locked in lightsaber combat when he has his red saber out. And it's very intentional, I think, where it reflects on Ahsoka's eyes in such a way where it almost looks like she has Sith eyes for a second. And she looks very I know what angry you're talking about. and intense. Oh, and I, I don't even think that was just a reflection. I think she was supposed to have Sith – like they, right. they gave her those contacts they for a half those. a second. Yeah, to me, you know, that to me was like, there There was, and again, a reference to the Clone Wars, there's a wildness in her, there was a darkness in her, seeds planted by Anakin, intentionally mm-hmm. or not, and she had to overcome not only her guilt with Anakin, but those, like, dark sides, you know, th- th- that evil seeds, and I'm sure she feared that if she, you know, let herself feel too much emotion, that she too could fall down that path, and so I think she's forced, because of Anakin's choices there, to face that side of herself mm-hmm. and like you said Aaron said you know she drops her lightsaber and chooses to live and not to kill Anakin and to overcome that um, right. and so I think she learned from Anakin that same mastery over her darkness and her dark side because that's yeah I'm not gonna go into a whole I'm gonna, I was gonna well, go into something else but I'm gonna stop part, <laughs> part of what I love I want to get back to the, kind of the original question but part of what I love about that moment when she drops it it's exactly what Luke did to him like, it's the, the Luke dropping his saber because he refuses to keep fighting Vader. Um, and it was so powerful. In, in terms of kind of like the metaphysics of what's happening there, I, I, I think I very much agree with where you both are coming from. I think, Alex, I had a somewhat different take than you did, but but I think you may have at least given me some thought that either, either one could be true. Because what I was remembering was when in the world between worlds and in other similar things, like Kanan and Ezra had both been tested, and Kanan especially is, to, is seeing Yoda – and I haven't seen the episode in a while, but my clear memory is that he kind of asks, like, is this really Yoda? And and the implication is given that it's like it, – it's not that like the actual physical person of Yoda enters into this world between worlds as well. 
it's that it's the force itself manifesting and and very much being a manifestation of Yoda because Yoda is a part of the force. But that like if somehow Kanan were able to go find Yoda after all of this, um, you know, Yoda would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there with you. Um, and I and that's kind of the, the so the impression I had is that it was sort of like the force was testing her the same way it tested Kanan and Ezra and, and many others in Rebels. And it was testing her through Anakin and then Anakin is in the force. And so it was that. But that like if somehow Anakin. Ahsoka later were to talk to Force Ghost Anakin, that Anakin would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, um, but I also do like your idea that it might be that he's not just a regular Force Ghost, that he is this now essence of the Force in that way. Um, it, yeah, because either, either way, I think the reason why it mattered to me is because it kind of felt like, to me, Anakin is a fixed point of he has turned back from being Vader. And this felt like it wasn't just one version of Anakin. It was kind of Aaron, as you were saying, it was Anakin at many different points. It was sort of this culmination of all the different parts of Anakin, especially all the different parts of Anakin that Ahsoka had had interacted with. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. For me, I need that to be Anakin. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like the growth and closure that I feel for my favorite character, Ahsoka, doesn't quite ring the same. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how it that- is to me. <laughs> I agree. I, that, I, go ahead. I was just gonna. I, I, it's it really interesting, Matthew. Cause I actually never, I never thought of it that way. In my mind, you know, Yoda. I remember very. You know, I'm doing I'm doing another Rebels rewatch right now, so I saw that episode fairly recently. And mm. I, Yoda makes a, a, a one line where he says, you know, he asks basically like, "Where are we?" When he's asking, right. you know, he's asking, like, you know, what what is this place? Where what am I looking at? And to me. That signified that it was, you know, Yoda making a connection through that world between worlds. Um, and I think that the only time, you know, in Rebels that we actually see the, the physical place is that one episode in season four. And, you know, even Palpatine, living, breathing Palpatine, is able to find a way to look into it and interact with people through that space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it is possible for really powerful Force users to, you know, make that connection. Because we've only seen... Anakin, Yoda, and Palpatine do it intentionally, I feel like. You know, Kanan, mm-hmm. Ezra, and Ahsoka are all tested, like you said, but those three Force users, who I would argue are probably the three strongest Force users we know of in the universe at this point, like, were able to access it on their own. So, I don't know. That that was my thought process, but that's a really interesting point I had never really considered yeah. before. I, to me, that that opens up a whole other set of questions of if Yoda actually knew that Kanan Jarrus was around – doesn't that oh, change yeah. all the things he says to Luke? But that that's a whole other – He knew Ahsoka was around too. He never said, I mean, I got, Ahsoka's yeah. not technically a Jedi. I'm sorry, yeah. Aaron. Um, <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Well, the I way – sorry. Go, I, I was going to say – I guess it then just brings me back to that original question though of – so is Anakin – like is this an Anakin who has himself conquered the dark side – and understands what Ahsoka needs, and so he intentionally takes on that dark side milieu, or is it that she's – because I saw it in a different way, because uh, I, I see Alex nodding is why I'm kind of responding. It, what I saw it as is that she recognizes that her master and this person who fell to the dark side are the same, and she kind of moves past him. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of moving on, definitely, because mm-hmm. – She's faced this, like, 
like we were saying before, kind of like this dark side in her that's been planted by Anakin that she knows of but doesn't want to address is doesn't want to yeah. be too powerful, doesn't want to be too obvious, like is just trying to stay out of the light to avoid possible consequences. And yeah, when they like have this moment together, she's able to like face and overcome the fear of becoming dark. Yeah. And and I think just to add to that, a really important thing that I think is drawn is that this is the first time ever in Star Wars that we see Anakin Skywalker acknowledge that he was Darth Vader and they're the same person. Throughout the rest of the animated shows and everything, he is an Obi-Wan, Clone Wars, Rebels. It's always, I destroyed him. Anakin yeah. Skywalker was weak. I destroyed it. We are separate beings. You even, you know, you read, um, I read uh, the, the, the Thrawn book series in the second book. He even, yeah, it's very divergent. It's like, he refers to Anakin's past as the Jedi. Like, it's very, like, mentally separated. Yeah. And to me, in this moment, Anakin, that's why I feel like Anakin is conscious and sentient here, because it's the first time we see Anakin saying, yeah, you know, I've conquered the dark side, and I recognize that, like, I was that person. We are the same, and I can move between them and use that to teach you this lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, and I think I like that as well, because it, it does seem like, you know, and this is kind of the history of the Jedi writ large of the, you know, we, we, especially if you read some of the High Republic, you know, the, a time when the Jedi were a lot more open to having romantic or even sexual relationships with other people. It was as long as it didn't become an attachment. And that yet by the time that Anakin is, is a Jedi, it's now like, no, 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 you can't do it all. You know, you have to just be entirely cut off. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, this is something we're talking about in the books that actually, I haven't recorded this yet, but by the time we this comes out, it will already come out. Uh, I did a great episode with Jedi Starkiller uh, about this a couple months back, about like seeing how these relationships have changed. And I think, yeah, it, it to me it's really powerful. And of course, it makes sense that Ahsoka would have so cut herself off that she won't train Grogu, that she won't make emotional connections, that she's so worried about connecting with Sabine. And and yeah, I think this this represents a real shift for her. Mm -hmm. I to Sabine. I think it was an interesting moment when Anakin asked her, do you even want a Padawan? Mm. And it, it got me thinking because it's like this whole Sabine Ahsoka thing, like they've both been trying, you know, we haven't seen much of it on screen. A lot of it has happened off screen, but from what we've heard, they both really tried. They, but they just couldn't stop arguing. They're both very determined, both very stubborn. And so then at the end there, when Ahsoka comes back, she wakes up, kind of asks what happened. Hu Yang says, oh, well, Jason found you. And she kind of smiles. She's like, Jason's here. A part of me wondered, maybe Sabine is not the Padawan she's meant to have. And of maybe course, Jason. training Jason is Hera's worst fear. A lot of people don't want that, which is understandable. And maybe I'm completely wrong, but it's just a thought that kind of popped in my head. No, I think it makes sense. And I think that whole thing was so powerful. First of all, we've been asking this for a while. We got Kane and Jairus mentioned by name. Yes. Uh, which made me so happy. And yeah, it, it, it's, it is really interesting. I mean, there's a part of me that like every time we acknowledge a new force powerful person who might need to be trained, my next thought is, so is this someone else who Kylo Ren kills? Because um, <laughs> that's like, you know, uh, but but yeah, it was just it was just so well done. Let's talk about young Ahsoka for a second. Yes. And the actress who played her. Uh, so it's Andrea Gonzalez. Uh, sorry, it is it is Ariana Greenblatt who 
I definitely recognized. I couldn't quite place it. Um, Aaron, you helped me realize it is the same actress who played Gamora, young Gamora, in the Avengers movie. And uh, for those who have seen the Barbie movie, uh, plays a very significant teenage role that I'm not going to say anything more about for those who haven't seen Barbie movie yet, but is just an incredible actress in that. Although she should have been allowed to go back to wearing black at the very end, but that's a whole other story entirely. Um, yeah, so she's just an incredible actress. I, I never for a moment didn't believe that this was the Rosaria Dawson aspect of Ahsoka in the in this person. Yeah, it was incredible. Like just the emotional age she had. Like yeah. that's the best way I can kind of put it. And also, she must have done hardcore studying of Rosaria Dawson and just her facial expressions because they were so spot on. Like, I don't know. Is it just that they actually look that similar, that their faces stretching over their bone structure looks that similar? Or is she that yeah. good of an actress, you know? I, I, I think it's got to be both. And yeah. to me, part of what it really nailed down is, as you both were saying earlier, like how horribly traumatic this was to do not only to adults like Anakin, but to young kids who, you know, signed up to be peacemakers. Uh, I just finished and we did an episode on Rise of the Red Blade, which is a book about a person who becomes an inquisitor and she's about Ahsoka's age uh, when she first becomes – when she's a Padawan and, and put into the war. She's maybe a little bit older and it talks about how traumatic it was for her as a young Padawan. And I always knew Ahsoka was a kid, but in animation and especially when it's an animated version of a non-human, I, I think it doesn't quite hit you as hard and – I think it would have – it was brilliant to do this because if it had been Rosario Dawson in those moments, I don't think it would have hit you anywhere near as hard. Like looking at this like – the actress is 16, but she looks like a tiny and very young version of Ahsoka. It hit me so hard of this is a child who is being put into war. That's very yep. true. Yeah, that's what I, I, I had mentioned that earlier because of that exact reaction of like – it, it, it just it just never hit in the Clone Wars. Like it, like you you understood like logically you're like all right Ahsoka's like twelve years old right now, mm -hmm. but you're like you know it's it's because of the style and the total direction. You know I think that when you look back at like you know everything that she went through, I mean like kidnapped, hunted, you know I mean sold momentarily a slave, like tortured in every way possible. I mean. As a child, I mean, and you just don't like if you if you picture the entire Corn Wars show with live action. Now that you actually have that that physical image, now it's horrifying. It makes yeah. the Corn Wars feel so much more. It almost makes it feel even darker and more evil and sadistic, and makes me like either hate or respect Palpatine's vileness even more at this point because it mm -hmm. was just, I mean, oh my god, yeah. I mean, the whole idea that the heart of Palpatine's plan was to force the Jedi to stop being peacemakers because he knew that going to war would fundamentally break them is just so perfectly illustrated. Like, that entire story is done in three minutes in this episode. Yeah. And even... Here you go. Oh, yeah. Um, just on, like, Ahsoka, like, the parts where he was just saying, like, yeah, when I was a Padawan, we were meant to be peacekeepers, but it's a war now, so I have to train you to be a warrior. Um, 
And, like, watching the Clone Wars growing up around her age, like like Alex said, I'm a little younger than you, so I think I was, like, seven or eight when the show came out. It's like, yeah, she's just, like, a badass chick. She's just, like, killing it. Yeah, go, go. Like, I'm just, like, here to support her. Not even, like, kind of thinking. Like, when you're young, you want to see yourself in that situation doing hard things. But, yeah, yeah, like, growing into an adult, in my mind, I never processed that she was so young because the animated version I see on screen is just Ahsoka. And Ahsoka has the emotional age she has, which is way older than what she actually is. So, yeah, I agree. Seeing, like, someone who actually looked 12 or 14 with Mm -hmm. those green lightsabers running through what I'm assuming was a battle on Ryloth because there was Twi'leks everywhere. Yep. Um, Yeah. Like, and I, I... It certainly sounded like Tamora Morrison's voice, so I'm yes. very glad they got him back. Um, I know there'd been some talk about like things he had said and Star Wars being mad at him, and I really hope that's not the case because uh, he's an amazing actor and they need to keep him around. But just having like him full grown as Rex in the armor, which again was amazing, like literally looking down at this much shorter child and asking, you know, and and but understanding that he yeah. he is being commanded by her, it, it was so effective. So yeah. perfect. Saying nicely done, Commander, to an actual child. Yeah. And then seeing live action clones with their, like, the helmets painted, uh, like Ahsoka, because we know she is, it, like, that that was the Siege of Mandalore. Oh, that broke my heart. That was, that was not the first time I cried, but I definitely had some tears at that moment, See, too. Seeing that with the Mandalorian, like, ball painted armor in live mm-hmm. action, like, I, I also, like, what I appreciate is if, if, if they've, been, they've been very kind of sneaky about things because, you know, like that entire time I'm like, I really don't know what I'm going to see. Like they, they've, they've hinted at Sam, you know, Whitworth performing some role in this show. Yeah. I'm like, is Darth Maul just going to make a cameo right now in Mandalore? Yeah. Or like, uh, I you was know, we're walking through little... the whole thing. I'm waiting, you, I'm waiting for you and McGregor to walk onto the screen. Like, I'm like, what what are we going to get? Are we going to get to more Morrison? And, you know, I think that while like, you know, the childhood part in me wanted to see Ewan and Hayden next to each other in Clone Wars armor. I do think that it, Ewan's presence would have detracted from the gravity of seeing Hayden with Ahsoka in live action for that first yeah. time. Absolutely. I think it was probably the right choice, but I still I, want to see it one day. I, I do have to say, if Sam Whitmer had showed up as Darth Maul, I think Ray Park would have very good reason to be very mad that Hayden was in it. Because then it's you fair. have a like, you know, if, if, True. if Sam is Matt Latner in this, in this dynamic, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. But, oh, but yeah, no, I, and I, I agree. I think, I mean, I don't be wrong. I love Ray Park's physical performance of Darth Maul and Phantom Menace, but his character is 99.9% hashed out in the Cold Wars and Rebels. Yeah. I, I'd say like, the same for speak, Anakin, speaks, but I know we disagree he there. He speaks so. three words. Yeah. In, yeah. In a, he just breathes heavily and looks scary. He breathes heavily and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, last we reveal ourselves to the Jedi. It's like the only line in the entire movie. I, and frankly, it would have been better if he didn't say that. Like, if he was just silent. Yeah, he just silent the whole time. But, right. But then, like, you know, the Clone Wars and Rebels, Sam, Sam Whitworth, I mean, he just has such an amazing performance. Like, when I hear, like, he's someone who I, I'm like, I hear that voice. I'm like, that's, that's Darth Maul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, there's so much more we can say about this episode, and we have uh, some feedback I want to get to, as well as we will have a bonus section for members. But what are any last points or questions you guys wanted to bring up? Yeah, okay, I'll run through a few. First of all, she said it was one of our first missions. The outfit she was wearing was modeled after her season three outfit. So, I mean, 
unsure about that, but I, I know that they didn't want her in a tube top on live action. I didn't want that either. Um, yeah. I'm uh, fine what with that, else? That Siege of Mandalore, absolutely beautiful. She fought with the same, like, we were watching her, you know, in the first flashback and she was like fighting, but I was like, ah, she's fighting, but like Ahsoka fights, you know? Yeah. And then we got that scene during the Siege of Mandalore and I was like, that's how Ahsoka fights. Like, that's what's up. Like, she killed mm-hmm. that. So I really loved that. Um, what else? The I watched it three times over this morning because it gives me so many chills. When he pushes her back as season seven Siege of Mandalore Ahsoka, she lands on her back as live action adult Ahsoka. And he starts walking towards her with the Darth Vader like um smoke behind him and he does these like shoulder shrugs i was like that's mustafar anakin and he's gonna get you like that's exactly who that is and i just loved it i loved it mm-hmm. yeah i also think just in that vein that the um i also thought it was ryloth i'm just gonna call it ryloth mm-hmm. as he's walking away from her on ryloth and there's like the flash of the artillery blast going off and you just see him walking away and then it flashes to vader and back to so anakin good. i was like Oh man, was I so was just, it's so just, good. It felt so good. Um, and I did want to just very quickly touch on Jason. Really, his role in this fascinates me because, mm-hmm. like, like I, I don't. They can take it so many ways. Like, he could be, you know, Ahsoka's Padawan. He could be trained by no one and like just train himself. I, mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really know where they're gonna go with it. But I'm just, I, I want, I don't want them to let that plot point die because that's Kanan's Ezra's Kanan's legacy but Jason's also Kanan's legacy and I want to see where that goes and I also wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if Ezra trained Jason I might might be unpopular but I think that would be a really cool thing to see I would love that actually I I think here's the thing for me and and this is again it's a generational thing in the same way that Hayden is so important for you all and, and seeing the live action Anakin in the same way I need to see Luke train some of these people. And and maybe it is like Luke working with Ezra who's working with others or like in part because – and I, I'm on record that I think there are a lot of great things about the, the, the sequels. I love Rey. I love Last Jedi. Less said about the last movie, the better. But um, part of why to me one of the things that didn't really land is that we had no idea who the people Luke were training were. And – in part because I just want to see more of Ahsoka with Luke because I think that's another great way of like the the two different parts of Anakin. Like in some ways, they're both Anakin's children, just in totally different ways. And I want to see more of them together. I, I would love to see, you know, this kind of like all of the Jedi that are running around in this and the and the Padawans and all the rest, somehow that connecting with what like with what Luke is doing, you know, or it being very different. I mean, I, yeah. I, I I'm very open also to right. Ahsoka still being like, no, the Jedi made a lot of mistakes and we're going to do something different here. Um, yeah. Like, but whatever it is, I just want some like, because a part of me was also like, when these force users show up, who are doing all these things. Why isn't Luke coming into this? I know he shouldn't and I don't want him to, but it needs to be kind of explained in the plot somehow. So yeah, you want like yeah. acknowledgement of where yeah, Luke no, is and what that. he's doing. Yeah. I, yeah. I also think that he, if I don't ever, if I don't get Hayden Christensen apologizing to Ahsoka or Anakin apologizing to Ahsoka, I think that at some other, not in Ahsoka show, it's other piece of media, seeing that conversation where Luke says to Ahsoka, I was there when he came back, like Anakin yes. is back. Yes. And them yes. sharing that moment. Cause I think that will, like you've seen Ahsoka and, and Luke in the same sp- place, technically in the, in a, that book of Boba mm-hmm. Fett episode, but 
you don't always see them having a heart to heart moment as deeply as I would have liked. Like you see them have a very brief conversation, but nothing. You know, I, I I'm sorry, I'm tearing up now just thinking about this, but like, because yeah, I was so frustrated that we didn't get that in whichever Mandalorian or Boba Fett, because they're all basically the same show at this point. But like. Yep. To have a moment where after all this, maybe at the end of this or maybe in something else, Ahsoka goes to Luke and says, now I'm ready to hear about Anakin's last moments. Like mm-hmm. something like that. You know, that maybe part of this chain that she wasn't ready. Like Luke started to tell her and I, I'm headcanoning it. I'm sure we'll never get the scene. But God, that would mean so much to me. I, it would be a lot to me too because that would just – it would – because that would also – to me, that would bridge the prequels, the originals. It would bridge the, the animated – it would bridge all of it together – yeah. In such a beautiful way, mm-hmm. and it would be so emotional, like you said. It it would be emotional for original fans, prequel fans, animated fans. It would hit every generation pretty much, and it, it to me it feels very like it feels very obvious that that would have to happen. Um, I don't know if I want to see Jason and all of them go to Luke's Jedi Academy. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want need, that. I don't need Kylo. I don't need them all dying. Yeah. Um, unless there's like, you know, unless there's some level of a retcon where some of the people died and some escaped or. Or maybe it's I like there's know. multiple schools and Ahsoka leads a different one on a different planet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just because we never really got in depth about like, did Kyle kill everybody? Did mm-hmm. he said some, they said that some students left with him because I don't want to imagine Jason, Kanan's son, turning to the dark side or being yeah. murdered in cold blood as a Padawan. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at this point, Star Wars just needs to stop ever saying the words, the last. Yep. Because, like, they keep, because that's the thing, is like, but it, because Ray's whole story is based on the fact that she's the only one, even though, like, it's clear, but, you know, in some ways, all that's true, unless Ben kills all of them, that she's not. So, anyway, that's a whole other digression we can get into, but, yeah. um, and we curious to see how it plays out in the rest of this. I love Star Wars. Yeah, well, so same. Good. So just, good. You just you just keep going and never stop. I could sit mm-hmm. here all night, literally yep. all night, and there would just night. be different different things to talk about. Uh, all right, we got two quick pieces of feedback that I want to go on. Uh, one is we we talked about this a little bit before. Uh, JP had written in this great question to us. Uh, he wrote into us. Or, JP had written into us after episode one a very long email with a bunch of different questions. We love all of it, and I want to uh, ask you all a couple more of them. Uh, and then we also have a, a, a quick question from uh, uh, Sunset Skywalker, which is – I love the name. So the first question was uh, – though, because uh, I think it's clearly very relevant. Uh, JP had asked, will the world between worlds indeed play a part in the story? The end credits are a clear callback and I could see it becoming an alternate means of travel to any other galaxy. Oh, that's an interesting thought about galaxy travel, but clearly not the way that they went. Um, JP, I can answer. Yeah, I will say yes, it does play an important part. And yes, the yep. credits were foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, good job, Aaron. Thank yeah, you. I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't caught on to the, the credits part, so I love that. That was something I, I did notice. I was like, it's giving world between worlds. <laughs> I, I, wanted, I, will, I will just to speak to that, uh, JP. I, I think that they've actually done the world between worlds in a really good way because it. I have, I have a very close friend of mine who is just loves Star Wars just as much as we do, um, and I'm actually going to be hanging out with him in a bit here, but he actually dislikes World Between Worlds as a concept because he feels like it's a little bit of a cop-out mm-hmm. where you can just... It, it, there, is, there is some mechanism built into the universe now where you can change events, bring back characters that have died, and yep. alter things, so he feels like it takes away emotional impact of things like you know, for him, Ahsoka sacrificed herself to her former master to save Ezra and Kanan, and he's like, 
And the way they brought her back, he's like, if she, if we had just found out that she had survived the battle in some other way, he would have been fine with it. But the way that they kind of just pulled her back bothered him. And I don't necessarily agree that it bothers me, but I think that they were kind of tasteful here where they didn't necessarily have that very clear mechanism in place. So it's not like, you know, let's start pulling people back from the dead willy-nilly here. Or let's start tri- like travel between galaxies, you know, because that would feel very easy. Mm-hmm. I looked that they committed to like a more in very Star Wars fashion, um, convoluted route to get to our destination of what's happened to a Pergil's mouth. Like, right? that feels very, like, very Star Wars and almost like a, not exactly, but like a very slight little, like, callback, you know, the Millennium Falcon being in the Exogorth and like, you know, mm-hmm. it just feels like, this is Star Wars. You know, this is, you know, if yeah. it was just like, oh, I'm Ahsoka and I happened into the world between worlds and now I'm going to walk across this path and 10 minutes later I'm at this new galaxy... It would feel kind of, I don't know, and lazy to me. I'll admit, I didn't, at first I was like a little bit eye-rolly about that, until we got the shot through the teeth of the jump into <laughs> hyperspace. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm in. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say, Alex, the point your friends made, very valid. It's a very yeah, valid yeah. critique. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. Because it does, like, I mean, any show. We've talked about this here on the podcast about the Marvel Universe. Mm. who's dead who's not dead like the problems of multi-dimensions like it's cool and it's fun to explore but if you're not a diehard fan it's hard to follow like i've often said one of the reasons why i love star wars is that unlike almost every other major sci-fi franchise or space opera franchise out there it doesn't involve time travel Mm -hmm. because i just think time travel always breaks the rules of logic in some way and so that's what that's his entire argument i i had a similar thing about world between worlds but then i was like but it lets us keep ahsoka so I'll yeah. just ignore my, my frustrations with it. Uh, yeah. let, let me do the one last question here. Yeah. Um, and this isn't directly related to this episode, but it, it came after the first one, but I think we've learned more, so it'd be interesting. Is Scroll is second question is, is Balin Scroll the first Jedi to turn and bring his Padawan with him? Shin Hatai does have a Padawan braid. I think he might be. What was that dynamic like? Did she resist at first? Are they Sith? I don't believe I, that they're Sith. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, real quick, this is a full divulgence, but I wanted to comment on this before we finish the episode. I rewatched the fight with Balin and Ahsoka after watching the new episode last night. Mm-hmm. And it was just very interesting to me how she's clearly a more skilled fighter and he comes at it with brute force, which is yeah. kind of how Anakin comes at it sometimes. And so I thought it was very interesting seeing her fight someone with Anakin's, like, style and lose. And at first I was like, this makes no sense. She would totally top him. But then my dad was like, well, she had one hand burned, could only use one lightsaber. I was like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. Back to hey, the question. I, <laughs> well, I'll just say more on that. I, I felt like like what I thought you were going to say with one hand is she had one hand tied behind her back. I think the point is that she was holding back in that fight. And that she very had true. to – and it's the same reason why Anakin defeats her at first – and she has to let go and stop holding back. And that's how she's able to defeat Anakin. And now we'll be able to kick his ass, Balin's mm-hmm. ass. Um, I want to answer the question that yes. was yep. asked about I, – I also don't think that they are Sith. I actually have an opinion on this of that. Balin, to me, he feels like the most un-Sith Sith ever because mm-hmm. he like – he very clearly loved the Jedi Order mm-hmm. when it was at a certain point because – he keeps he keeps the Padawan braids. He makes constant comments of like you know, 
it's a shame that we have to kill the last few Jedi. You know, I, you know, I'm saddened by this and I'm, yeah. he, you know, he very, he very much speaks in nostalgic words about the order. He says that he lost faith though. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think he is one of, he, maybe not, but he could be one of the Jedi that walked away from the order when Dooku did. Yeah. Um, and when they, you know, they were feeling very disillusioned with how the Jedi order had been. And had what it had become. Um, I don't know if that would work age wise or not, but it's but if, if not at that period, a similar reason to why Dooku left of yeah. like you know becoming disillusioned with the, how political the Jedi Order had become and all these things. And yeah, but it doesn't mean that he he wanted to completely like you know forsake it. I mean, like you know, like uh, who I, I always say his name wrong. Who Hugh Hu Yang? Hu Yang. Yang. Thank you. I keep wanting to say Hugh Yang. It doesn't sound right. Hu Yang even refer- like makes a remark that both lightsabers are made as Jedi custom. Like yep. he trained yeah. his Padawan to make a lightsaber in the Jedi fashion, mm-hmm. and Baloney even made a point to comment that these sabers are not meant to be red, but more of an orange hue. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of very distinct differences um, yeah. between the Sith and them. And there was also I can't remember now what it was, but there was someone had brought up. Their names in Norse mythology, yes. like very distinctly, like it's these put him two on a wolves. Path. Yes, mm-hmm. which Lothal imagery. We love that. Yeah. Um, what? And I really love where you're going because, yeah. it, And I love the Dooku connection you made. I hadn't really thought of it until this question, and then as you started answering it, because I, I am on record as saying that I think my least favorite moment in all of Star Wars, uh, other than I hate sand, is the. <laughs> moment when it's revealed that Dooku has been working with Palpatine all along. Because I thought the idea of Dooku as a person who genuinely believed that the Jedi had fallen and genuinely believed that the Republic was corrupt and so genuinely believed that he the best thing was to separate mm-hmm. and that as part of breaking away from the Jedi, he was starting to say to himself, maybe there are some powers that I could use for good. And that that and that the idea was that this was the beginning of Palpatine slowly manipulating him toward the dark side, and I was very frustrated when we found out no, that actually has already happened. Everything you just said to Obi Wan is made up, and I kind of love that maybe with Balin we're getting that story then, we are, yeah. because to me, when he says to Sabine, "This is for the good of the galaxy," I'm not doing that. Like when he says to Sabine, "This is for the good of the galaxy," I 100% believed him. I don't think this is him just being wahaha, I want ultimate power like a Sith should. I think he genuinely believes, like you said, that the Jedi were wrong, but that he can do more good by finding Thrawn and that Thrawn can help bring peace and stability to the to the galaxy. And he only fights when he absolutely has to. He never yeah. he always sends other people away. He does he doesn't want to have to fight. Yeah. And he even says to Ahsoka, like, how inevitable. Like, yeah. I don't want to have to fight you. Of course, yeah. you would bring this into a fight. Like, he condemns her for being someone who's grown up in the Clone Wars as a warrior. Because like yeah. you're saying, he believes in the truth of the Jedi. I just Googled um, their surnames. Hati and Skoll are a pair of wolves in North mythology who are forever cursed to chase heavenly bodies. And that oh. makes sense. It's like he is chasing Yo. to find what he believes is the true Jedi. This is yeah. crazy, y'all. Filoni's crazy. <laughs> Filoni's inc- insane. And and I also think that um uh oh god um our our Dathomir reanimated Inquisitor what's his name uh, da, uh ba, boss oh Maroc. Uh, Barak. Barak. he has a what, what's his Norse 
history because there's something oh, yeah. behind him too. Yeah. Um, but Which, while you're looking that up, I, I want to just kind of mm-hmm. double down on what what Aaron's saying of chasing this idea of the perfect Jedi. He doesn't know, like he he wants power. Like there is certain levels of wanting power, but I don't think he he doesn't he like he's like I'm not starting a war. Like he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be doing anything. He just wants to find what he feels like he lost from the Jedi Order. He thinks was perfect in the day. Yeah. No, I think it's very true. I think in that and that's. To me, wanting power for its own sake is the end of the road. Yes. Wanting power because you think you can do what you think is right with it is the beginning of the road, you know? And and it to me, again, you know, when Palpatine we find out his only motivation is just I want ultimate power because mwahaha, mustache twirly, like that's boring. This is a much more interesting kind of a villain. So I found that um Maroc connection. And so Maroc was an Arthurian knight who was turned into a werewolf by his wife. And the woman who taught his were- his wife how to be a witch was Morgan Le Fay. So like Morgan Elsbeth. Which also another thing that I-, I wanted to bring up, Aaron, last week and I just totally forgot about. When he's cut down, all this kind of like green dust and smoke comes out. Which is what we've seen happen a lot when the Night Sisters, especially the sort of ghost versions of the Night mm-hmm. Sisters, were killed. So I That's kind of wonder point. if maybe that is a like Night Sister somehow. Oh, inside. Yeah. that is one hundred percent what I have been assuming. That's, that's why I mentioned it. I am one hundred percent. That is what I think happened. I actually because he has the exact same armor and outfit as the unnamed Inquisitor we saw eighth um, brother fall. Right? Uh, I think it was was it the eighth brother. I think it's the one, Ace- the one who had the lightsaber damage and he fell off the. He Sith just temple. like dies in the dumbest way, yeah. But we don't know he yeah. a- if he actually dies in that moment or not. But to me, that is him, and he was re- he was just reanimated, reanimated. with, with Night Sister magic. Oh, I like and he's that. Just, I- and he's just been like this on for Morgan Elizabeth, and that's why like you don't really hear him speak very much, and it's very much like when he's cut down, we see that exactly exactly what you said. How? Why else would green smoke and stuff fall out of him? And how could he be defeated so easily by Ahsoka? Like, yeah. I don't know. That yeah. to me seems very. And it's in- we. We n- sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. It's interesting that you guys are saying this because I'm for such a Clone Wars head. Didn't think about the Night Sisters. I had headcanon yeah. that as he's a type of species that needs a pressure suit, and he just couldn't <laughs> stand the same like oh gravity. God. And so when she broke through his suit, he just exploded. I was that's like, incredible. that's sick. But yeah, the Night Sister thing that. makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, actually, um, Sunset Skywalker, thank you so much for your email. We've gone pretty long already, so I'm going to kind of wrap this up and we'll do that email next week. Um, or actually, I believe next week I will be gone and it may well be Aaron and Alex. Um, so the uh, uh, kids will be taking care of the shop. Please say something in honor, that something nice about Luke at some point. Um, <laughs> but other than that, uh, we'll go. Oh, and what was the thing I, I actually meant – just speaking of the original trilogy, uh, what I – Aaron, what – take this offline for a second. What was the line from Ahsoka that I said is now up there with Hans? Oh, line? I have no idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and just as a closing thing on that, because I, I had to say this, I actually texted Aaron the moment I finished the episode that uh, uh, the other saying to to Ahsoka, so what's the plan? Do we know that the Pergo are going to take us there? And Ahsoka saying, I have no idea. It was such the perfect, like, Ahsoka's back moment. And the line was so good. What I texted was, I have no idea. We'll now join I know as one of the most iconic Star Wars lines ever. 
Yeah. It was just it was just that good. So Alex, thank you so much for being a guest on this. I hope we're going to have you back as well as yeah. you and I are uh, uh, neighbors. So hopefully we get to meet in person sometime, uh, the live action side of things. Uh, but if people want to find more of your work, I, I've seen some of your photography. It's amazing. Your cosplay. Tell us people more about where they can find you. Uh, yeah. My, my Instagram is at Alex Corman 12. That's K-O-R-M-A-N-N. Um, I'm also have uh, websites, alexcormanphoto.com. I also have Twitter and other stuff. So it's all just Alex Corman or Corman Alex. So I'm, I'm not hard to find. Awesome. awesome. And we'll have the links to all that in the show notes. And Erin, where can people find you? Yeah, as always, I am Lady Tano Creates, both on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok is where I post a lot of um, how-tos and follow along with me as I F things up for my cosplay. Instagram is where I post the really cool pictures Alex takes of me, where he makes me look epic, even though I brought four lightsabers to a shoot and only one of them worked. Only one of them worked. <laughs> it was I'll be sure to ask awesome. you about that when we meet her. And and the pictures are awesome because of both of you. So definitely, you know, like give good credit all around. Thank you both for being listener. Thank you both for being on the podcast. To our listeners, thank you so much. For our members, stick around for our members section. If you're not a member, you can do that by just giving paying five dollars a month. You get ad free content. You get bonus content. You get access to special parts of the Discord. All sorts of great things. But for everyone else, thank you so much. We have spoken. <laughs> <laughs>